imagine what would happen if Congress passed a law that said children can no longer celebrate their birthdays. Instead of the children celebrating their own birthdays, all the children will celebrate together one birthday, the birthday of the president. It sounds like a science fiction fantasy or a George Orwell novel, doesn't it? But it's real right now in the country of North Korea. And it's not just about birthdays. The dictator there wants to be worshipped as a god. He wants to be seen as a divine being. So those that worship Jesus Christ are not just followers of a different religion. They are enemies of the state. Yet there are followers of Jesus Christ in North Korea, and we're going to learn more about them today on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Greetings, friends. It is great to have you with us today on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Pastor Eric Foley. He is the CEO of Seoul USA, uh, which is the Voice of the Martyrs North Korea Project Partner. So the, the projects that we have going on to support North Korean Christians, we're working in partnership with Seoul USA. Uh, Pastor Foley, welcome to our studio. Thanks, Todd. Good to be here. Let's start with, uh, with a big word uh, the cover of our June newsletter says North Korea's Holocaust. Now, Holocaust is a pretty loaded word. Is that an accurate description of what's happening with the North Korean church? Todd, I think it is uh, on a number of levels, um, both in terms of the historic comparison to the Holocaust event of last century. I think the comparison is apt. One of the things we don't talk about a lot uh, with North Korean Christians is that when we show them uh, movies and uh, uh, pictures from World War II, their response is actually that they are surprised that um, Jewish prisoners were even treated that humanely. Wow. Uh, in a North Korean concentration camp, for example, if you're sent to a mine, you're sent to the mine and you never come back out of the mine. Uh, you would go underground and you would not see the light of day again. On the other level, Todd, um, the idea of a holocaust, uh, of course, that, uh, that word also means a, an offering. And so for North Korean Christians, they prepare uh, from very early in their Christian lives to understand that that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a likely outcome for them to end up in a concentration camp. And so they see that as part of their missionary service. It is part of their offering to God. And so uh, they certainly do not lose hope in those camps. In fact, they are the only sign of hope in, in almost every case. I think most of our listeners and all Americans really have a hard time wrapping their minds around what it means to live in North Korea. Not not just what it means mm. to be a Christian there, but what it means to be a North Korean. Uh, but then Christians are another level up mm. as far as being enemies of the North Korean government. How do you translate that to help Americans understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in North Korea? When we talk about the treatment of Christians in North Korea, uh, that treatment uh, by statute uh, means that Christians have no right to exist. 
Uh, in North Korea, there's two types of crimes that you can commit. Uh, one is um, what we would think of as, as, as crime uh, in a Western sense, for example, murder or theft or those kind of things. But North Korea has a special set of crimes called crimes against the state. And uh, these are crimes that when people commit, they essentially lose their personhood. The purpose of a concentration camp or a labor camp in North Korea is to take people who have lost their personhood and to attempt to re-educate them, uh, if at all possible, to uh, to make it so that they renounce the, the thing that caused the offense. Uh, to be found as a Christian is a crime against the state. So that means literally, Todd, uh, that in North Korea it is an offense that is uh, punished with a greater severity than murder or theft or any other what, we, what they call a common crime. So yes, to be a Christian in North Korea is by definition to be underground. It is not possible uh, for someone to be a Christian or to be suspected of being a Christian. One of the things that um, um, happened uh, recently in the news had to do with North Korea's uh, announcement back to the, uh, the uh, United Nations Human Rights Commission. And they said, you know, our problems from sex trafficking on through terrorism in North Korea are caused by Christian missionaries. And so what we're seeing is that the amount of persecution and the amount of stigma associated with being a Christian in North Korea is not getting easier. In fact, it is getting harder. It is getting more severe. I think one of the things that our listeners will find interesting and sad, really, is that uh, the North Korean government is built on this religion of Juche, mm. this religion of deifying the leaders. And so uh, our North Korean brothers and sisters, they're not just following a different religion. They're really committing treason. What they believe mm, undermines true. the very veracity of the North Korean state. So... When you see it in that light, you can understand why the North Korean government responds so harshly, because their very foundation is undermined by these believers and by what they teach. You know, Todd, in fact, I was writing about this subject last night, that uh, Kim Il-sung, of course, he grew up in a Christian home. That's well established. His his uh, grandfather was a pastor. His, his father was an elder in the church. And uh, a question that I had wondered about uh, for some time was, what was the specific reason that caused Kim Il-sung to stop being a Christian? And uh, it turns out that it, it has to do with his mom sleeping in church, which sounds ridiculous, but his his mom would regularly sleep in church. And so he said to her, why, why do you go to church? And she said, I go to church to relax. And from that, Kim Il-sung concluded that uh, the God of the Christians was not a God who could address the problems that uh, Korean people faced. And so what he did was he decided that he himself would take on that role. And so he, he talks in his writings about the God of Korea, and it's pretty clear who he's addressing in that uh, title, and that's himself. And so he made a decision uh, those many years ago in the 1940s. Uh, North Korea officially became a state in 1948. Um, he made a decision uh, that he would push God aside and he would take that position. And so uh, he never saw that as being a negative. Uh, and he felt that uh, any religion that honored the God of Korea would do whatever it could to benefit the state. And so that's what he would write about throughout his life was that uh, Christians were uh, inoffensive insofar as they would give their highest allegiance to the state and not do anything that troubled the state. Of course, the problem with that is, is that the very act of bowing your head and praying, the very act of honoring someone higher than Kim Il-sung, which goes against the 10 principles of the North Korean state, um, would, would be something that any Christian would run afoul of uh, just in, in an ordinary act of worship. And the interesting thing to me is how much of Christianity he counterfeited 
uh, in the effort to build his own religion. He did. He, Tell he, us a yeah, little sure. bit about some of those things. He pushed the God of the Christians aside, but he kept the apparatus for worship. Uh, in North Korea, every Saturday, uh, there are self-criticism meetings where everyone has to come and, and confess how they have fallen short of um, the, uh, this uh, act of honoring Kim Il-sung. And uh, they do it according to the Ten Principles, which are an adaptation of the Ten Commandments, which begin that you shall have no other God before our God. But in the case of North Korea, that says that you shall honor no one or nothing more than Kim Il-sung. And so uh, not only is there the Ten uh, Commandments or Ten Principles, as they're called in North Korea, but there's a trinity, uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and the mother of Kim Jong-il. And so... uh, uh, there's a hymn book, a hymn, hymn book of 600 songs of praise and worship to Kim Il-sung. Uh, the, the, when North Koreans have their self-criticism meetings, they do it in buildings that you and I would look at and say, that, that, that's a church. And so he understood the power of uh, the apparatus of worship, uh, but he felt that the focus of worship should be on him. He felt that he was uniquely positioned to understand and act upon the problems of North Korea. And uh, that was a, a a tragic, uh, tragic uh, miscalculation uh, because, of course, he plunged the country into a darkness from which it still has not emerged, a darkness that is continuing now to the third generation through his son Kim Jong-il and now Kim Jong-un. And uh, what has remained consistent is the, um, the maintenance of that apparatus of worship that we Christians would look at it and say, that's Christian worship. It's just twisted. You, you took the right God out and you put the wrong one in. And I think for our listeners, you know, you think about some of the things that are just basic to us, uh, saying a prayer before a meal. They say a prayer before a meal, but it's not to God. That's correct. Uh, it's to Kim Jong-il, Kim yeah. Jong-un. Uh, right. So you would have on, on the wall of every of the best, uh, on, on the best wall in your house, you would always have the picture of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. And to pray, you would keep your eyes open. You would look up at the picture and you would say, thank you, Father Kim Il-sung, for this food. It was a terrible uh, famine in North Korea in the early 1990s. And one of the most tragic stories that I've ever heard that emerged from that famine was the story of a woman whose son uh, was dying of starvation. And uh, she was uh, kneeling down in front of those pictures and crying out in prayer to Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il to the pictures to save her son. And so when we talk to North Korean people, that's what we talk about. We say that uh, Kim Il-sung cannot save. Kim Jong-il cannot save. Uh, they cannot uh, free you from the power of death. They cannot uh, do any of the things that they, they purport to do. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a key understanding of what we need to do when we talk to North Korean people. It's not that they don't know the gospel. It's that they don't know the God of the gospel. Uh, They've heard the gospel, but it's always been as applied to Kim Il-sung as their savior. Let's talk a little bit more about that, because I know one of the things that happens is they'll say, oh, yeah, we already know this. Uh, Oh, your hymn book is nice. I already have a hymn book. Oh, you know, I already know about that. How do you overcome that or how Mm -hmm. do you respond to that in such a way that it does open their eyes to the true God of the gospel. Yeah, almost without exception. Every time we talk to a North Korean and we share the gospel with them, for example, if they have come to China to visit relatives or they're working for hard currency overseas in a timber uh, camp or a mine or something like that, and you share the gospel with them, uh, they always say, why are you copying us? <laughs> and uh, they, can, they, can, they can finish your sentences before you, f- you finish 
them. Um, they're taught about American missionaries from their birth. They're taught that American missionaries are very outwardly sweet and kind and gentle. But then uh, when they take you into their home, they'll eat your guts out. Uh, so many of the stories are about um, the the those kind of deceptions. Literally, the of... literally, they will eat you. Yeah, yeah, like cannibalism. Right. Okay. Yeah, and so the um, when we talk to North Koreans, what's important to understand is is that the process of them coming to know the one true God can't be an act of human persuasion. Uh, I wish I could tell you that uh, that we worked with Voice of the Martyrs and developed this resource or that resource that that made it so that that the conversion was automatic. Uh, we have a lot of great resources, but taught outside of the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into the heart of a North Korean, there can be no transformation. And so um, people say, uh, uh, you know, is it good soil? We say it's very hard soil, <laughs> but, um, but the Holy Spirit uh, has to be. We know that's true in every country, but I think in North Korea, we're especially relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to transform people's lives. So when a North Korean comes to faith mm. in Christ and they look back on what they believed or what they thought before, what do they say or, or what do they uh, kind of how do they look back on that and remember yeah. those days of darkness? Well, typically what we find is, is that they will remember things like for example, uh, that when, when they'll hear a certain Christian song, they'll say, I know that song. Uh, my grandmother uh, used to hum that song. Or when they uh, hear a Bible story, they'll say, I know that story, but I know it with different characters. And it turns out, of course, uh, Christianity was prevalent in North Korea prior to the division of North and South Korea. And uh, that generation of Christians, even as they laid down their lives, they planted these seeds and so uh, a lot of times what does end up opening the door uh, for them to uh, give consideration to Christianity is that um, they remember these things. And so as they look back, they do remember the darkness, but even more than that, they remember that God had made provision for them even while they were yet sinners. And isn't that the, the backbone of the gospel, that while we were yet sinners? I think going back to the, the seeds that were planted, I, I think that speaks hope uh, to a lot of our listeners, maybe mm. who have kids who have wandered away from the faith, uh, you speak about seeds coming to fruition even after a generation. Yes. Uh, so I think for those who are parents who are listening, they can uh, sort of take encouragement from that story and, and know that the seeds that you planted will produce fruit uh, in your kids' lives. Uh, Pastor Eric, let's talk about you personally, because uh, you— hear these stories and you sit across from these North Korean believers, what does that do to you? What does that do mm. to your faith and to the way that you pray and how you read your Bible? Mm. <laughs> well, I tell you what comes immediately to mind uh, to me is, is that in one of our discipleship bases, you know, we, our work is not only in North Korea, but there are North Koreans in China, Russia, Mongolia, Southeast Asia. I would say anywhere that hates the United States, you're going to find North Koreans there because North Korea sends its workers abroad to be able to make uh, foreign currency. And so uh, at our one of our discipleship bases, we have a, a man who's there, and uh, he came. He is a, a person who is a low-level government official in uh, North Korea, and but becoming increasingly disillusioned with um, the state of, um, of uh, Juche as an ideology in the North Korean life. And so he came to our base, and uh, he was watching the Voice of the Martyrs video. He lived among us. We, did the, we worked with Voice of the Martyrs to do the North Korean dialect uh, translation of that video. 
and overdubbed it with the North Korean voices with professional North Korean actors and so forth. And so, Tan, it's no exaggeration to say he watched the video three times a day, every day for more than a week. Uh, he would watch it. He would start it over again. He'd watch it. He'd start over again. And he'd watch it. The next day, he'd do the same thing. And so it was just fascinating to watch him. And a lot of times, we don't want to interrupt. Uh, we want to just see what happens. And uh, so at the end of that time, uh, he came to us, and he, he smacked his hands together. He says, I've got it. We said, you got it. He said, yes, I understand the story now. I understand the real story, the true story. And uh, we said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to teach my family the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it was such an interesting reaction. It certainly wouldn't be what I would have thought. But the more I thought about it, the more I understood what he was saying. He was talking about the impotence of the North Korean story and the impotence of praying to Kim Il-sung. But there's such a need to then understand, well, how would you address a God that you don't know? And so for him, the Lord's Prayer was such a valuable thing to understand, not as any kind of a magical incantation, but just as a way of beginning to make this relationship with the one true God. So I say all those things because what I found, Todd, over now, Mrs. Foy, and I've been doing this now for 14 years, um, is that things that to me have been so basic in my Christian life, I often have to go back and revisit, whether it's a Bible story or something like the Lord's Prayer, to realize the immense power in it. Even the Ten Commandments, which are, are so central to the life of the North Korean underground church, it amazes North Korean people when I tell them that most Americans, most Western Christians don't know the Ten Commandments. Um, or the Apostles' Creed, another uh, important aspect of North Korean life. Here we say, well, a creed, it's kind of stale and formal. But for them, they don't have Christian radio. They don't have Christian books. They don't have the Bible. And so the, the Apostles' Creed functions as kind of a theological bookshelf for them, a mental bookshelf. And so I think, Todd, that's what I've learned is, is that a lot of the things that we take for granted as Christians uh, end up being very significant. An average underground Christian in North Korea may only know a handful of gospel stories from the Bible. Uh, they may only know a handful of things like the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. But they hold on to them so tightly and is so precious. So I learned to value my own faith more. A lot of those basic things that uh, maybe in the past I would have thought uh, I wanted to read a new Christian book or I wanted to hear a new, um, you know, uh, we're all excited anytime we hear of a new pastor who, who, who has a new podcast. But I find more that I really value the, the, the things that have been handed on to us from generation to generation. Interesting. A, a return to the basics is yeah. kind of what I hear you saying of the really bedrock foundational principles of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to pray, uh, what the scriptures are. Uh, I think that's a good reminder for all of us. Um, let's talk a little bit about the I Confess campaign because yes. uh, Voice of the Martyrs launched this campaign to hopefully raise a voice for North Korean Christians. What what do you hope mm. is, is the end result of this? This campaign is where we're inviting Christians here in the United States and, and really around the world to confess to Kim Jong-un, to confess that they're following Christ, to confess that they're praying for the North Korean church and for the nation of North Korea. Uh, what do what do we want to see yeah. happen? Well, Todd, it's important to understand the context of uh, that confession uh, and the genesis of that campaign. Um, Christians need to understand that attacks on Christians by North Korea have been increasing. Not only now, we're not just talking about underground Christians here, we're talking about uh, missionaries in China, and we're talking about, of course, uh, 
uh, Western visitors who come to North Korea. Uh, we've seen three detentions uh, just in, in short order in North Korea as people have been detained. And what the North Korean government wants to do then is to intimidate those Christians and to force them to sign a confession. And that confession is a confession of wrongdoing. It's a confession, again, of, of how they violated um, the glory of the North Korean state. And so what Voice of the Martyrs is doing with this campaign is, is turning that idea of confession back on its head to its historical Christian understanding that not, we're, we're not confessing what we did wrong, we're confessing our faith. Whereas the typical strategy of North Korea is to isolate believers until they sign a confession, what we're doing is, is that we are gathering believers from around the world and we're signing this confession saying, we are aware of what you're doing. Your state may be closed off to the outside world, and yet we know exactly what's going on. We know, in fact, a lot of what we know comes from these underground Christians. And so what we want to see happen, Todd, is we want to see North Korea aware that any time uh, that they are dealing with Christians, that they're not dealing with uh, an isolated Christian, um, that uh, we're all part of one body, and uh, that to take action against one Christian is actually to take action against all. Uh, but it's not simply a statement. Uh, when you read the confession, what I like about it is it doesn't just say, hey, we're watching you, don't do anything bad. It's a matter of saying, no, we want to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of North Korea, not Kim Il-sung. We want to confess that we pray uh, for your salvation and the salvation of your nation. Uh, our attitude towards you is for you, not against you. But in standing for you, we have to stand against, of course, the very things that you do to dehumanize your people. For those who are listening, you can find the Letter of Confession at letterofconfession.com. Uh, we invite you to sign that. Uh, we will then submit them to the North Korean delegation to the United Nations. Uh, we have partners in other countries who are doing this in their nations as well. So this is a international campaign for Christians to speak out to the nation of North Korea. Uh, now, Pastor Eric, I, I know some people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be like, wait a minute, I don't want the North Korean government to know where I live. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you respond to those people? I tell you what I say, Todd, and I, I'd love to be able to say, hey, it's completely safe. It won't cost you anything. Uh, but I would never say that because that's not true. Uh, what, what we always tell people when they talk about the kind of work we do, we say, is it safe? And we say, no, but how can we do less uh, than to undertake uh, even a fraction of the danger and inconvenience that our North Korean brothers and sisters experience? How could we stand before the Lord um, when that day comes? Uh, and the Lord holds us to account for what we did now that we know what's happening in North Korea. You know, the situation in North Korea hasn't changed for Christians, but what's changed is our awareness of that situation. And with awareness comes responsibility. We know now that there are approximately 100,000 underground believers in North Korea. We know now that about a third of those are in North Korean concentration camps. We know now that those prisoners are set aside in different sections of the concentration camps and experience special punishments and tortures. Knowing those things, uh, can we be willing to undertake even a bit of the inconvenience or danger they experience? Now, let's talk a little bit about what we think the North Korean government response will be, because I know several years ago we had a fax campaign uh, that produced a response. Yeah, sure uh, did. <laughs> produced a, a threatening response. Right. Uh, what do you anticipate their response is going to be uh, in light of the history that, that's there, uh, in light of the UN report earlier, mm -hmm. and, and then their response to that was to blame the Christians. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you see happening coming off of this letter of confession campaign? 
Todd, the only people who don't take Christians seriously uh, when it comes to North Korea are Christians. Uh, I think that we Western Christians have a sense that uh, we are somehow less uh, serious or significant in the North Korean equation than military might or economic sanctions or human rights uh, uh, protests and so forth. But what we know is this. We know that Kim Il-sung once said that only Christianity can cut the root of our communism. Uh, and that Kim family has preserved that saying from generation to generation. That means they are always aware of the activities of Christians. And in fact, when you look at the list of people, uh, on, uh, not that they publish it uh, you know, for the world to see, uh, but from what we're able to ascertain, uh, when we look at uh, the people who North Korea is always targeting to try to neutralize their work, the number of Christians that are on that list is very high. So yes, North Korea is acutely aware of public relations in general around the world and actively cultivates its public presence, uh, but particularly with Christians. And I think that this would represent the first large-scale response of Christians to North Korea about a subject which is of intense interest to them. And it comes at a time where their response to the UN Human Rights Commission was to talk about Christians. And then in the last uh, uh, year, uh, the, the people who they've detained were Christians. This is not coincidental. But what we know is, is that if there's going to be a change in North Korea, it won't be a geopolitical change or a military change or an economic change because North Korea is geared to withstand those shocks. But what Kim Il-sung knew was that Christianity was the one power that could undo the state because he knew that he had consciously displaced the Christian God. And when the people of God around the world consciously made the effort to bring him back, uh, to, to share the news of the gospel with North Korean people, he knew that that would cause trouble. As we finish up, one of the things that we always want to do on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network, we always want to encourage people to pray. How can we pray for North Korea? How can we pray for the church there mm. and for the nation as a whole? <laughs> Todd, you take me back to the, the very first time I met North Korean underground believers. And I, I was pretty sure that I was, I was going to do what I could to help them out. And I said, how can we pray for you? And they said to me, you pray for us? We pray for you. And I said, well, why would you say that? I'm thinking, you know, we're from the land of the free, the home of the brave. We've got resources. We've got uh, connections. And they said, yeah, that's the problem with you Western Christians and South Korean Christians is you think that because you have that freedom and that money that uh, you can accomplish anything. They said, we have neither freedom nor money. We can only rely on God, and he is sufficient. And so it was interesting. The way they answered that question about how to pray for them was they said, don't pray for us. Pray with us. Pray with us that God finds us each faithful in the sphere of influence in which he has placed us. And so that means that we may not be facing a concentration camp here in the United States, but we can learn about the North Korean believers. We wrote the book, These Are the Generations, which Voice of the Martyrs carries. And then, of course, the book that you did on North Korea as a nation. These are important resources to read, not just so we can pray for or feel bad for North Korean Christians, but we can see how they have preserved the Christian witness in the most difficult circumstances on earth. And we can then be emboldened to share it in our sphere of influence. So that's what the North Korean believers ask for. That's what I always tell Western believers to do. Don't pray for them. Pray with them. Pray that as God finds them faithful, that he will also find us faithful to share the gospel with our, our kid's school teacher, with our next-door neighbor, with our coworkers, uh, knowing that we will face some opposition that we do, but we can be strengthened by seeing that North Koreans face much more opposition and yet remain faithful. Pastor Eric Foley is the CEO of Seoul USA. 
our project partner for North Korea. Pastor Eric, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for challenging us uh, to live out our faith more and uh, to connect more with our North Korean brothers and sisters. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us this week. You can sign the Letter of Confession at letterofconfession.com. As always, you can connect with us at vomradio.net. Have a great week. <laughs>